If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. The finals of the annual American Crossword Puzzle Tournament are always exciting. You have hundreds of people in a ballroom of a New York City hotel, and they're all watching these finalists who are standing there at the front, in front of easels, trying to work these giant versions of an incredibly hard crossword mm-hmm. puzzle. And they're wearing these noise-canceling headphones. Oh, right. And Grant, remember you remember those. that, mm-hmm. right? Because you did color commentary That's for right. them back in the day. And there's other noise in the room, too. People are, are moaning if they see an error because right. because mm-hmm. you can see the solution, right? The, the contestants can't see it. But what I didn't know until I read it in the uh, blog of Deb Amlin, who blogs about uh, crossword puzzles for the New York Times, I didn't know that the white noise that they're listening to mm-hmm. in their noise-canceling headphones is a recording of hundreds of voices speaking in different languages at a United Nations cocktail party. Whoa, that's Isn't awesome. that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So in case there was a real voice a- accidentally slipping through, it's going to be completely disguised by the voices in the headphones. Exactly. Oh. Isn't that wild? Or, or, you know, when you were doing the color commentary, mm-hmm. you would use the person's name, right? right this right. or that contestant, and that could be distracting. Mm-hmm. And I'm told that it sounds pretty much like white noise, but there's something about the idea of, of listening to cocktail party chatter. I wonder if it's distracting or if it's successful as white noise. Apparently it is. We should ask the winners. Now, these people are such great crossword players that they could probably solve these things hanging upside down from the bottom of an airplane, right? In their sleep. In their sleep. And they solve (laughs) puzzles in about three to four minutes that would take me probably all day or maybe even a week. Never for me. Staggeringly awesome talents. I'm thinking of Trip Payne and Tyler Henman and people like that. Yep. If you've got a secret about language that you want to share with the world, this is the place to do it. 877-929-9673 or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant. This is Zach Fix from Northern Michigan University in Marquette, Michigan. Zach Fix? Like F-I-X? F-I-X. That's my last name. That is an awesome (laughs) name, dude. That is great. Thank you. Thank you. You should be like a comic book character. I know, right? With like spiky purple hair and a laser gun. Zach, how can we so, help you? I have a friend, and he moved out to Portland, and he got a job working in a coffee shop, and his official title was barista. And he, he is a man, so I was kind of confused about that because I thought that a lot of the, um, it sounds, barista sounds like it was like a borrowed word from some romantic language. Mm-hmm. And normally... Those um, borrowed words that we have in English, we also take um, the gender that goes along with it, mm-hmm. which is dependent on whoever is doing the op- occupation, whether it be a man or a woman, like actor, actress, mm-hmm. waiter, waitress. So my question is, why isn't he a barista? Yeah, well, you're right that barista does go back to, I mean, it's an Italian word. Italian, yeah. Barista, somebody who works from, at a bar. From the, the culture that perfected the quick delivery of coffee. Um, the thing is that there are a lot of words in Italian, Zach, and Spanish, for that matter, that end in I-S-T-A. 
that take either gender. So, oh, yeah. So, for example, if you go to Italy, you will be referred to as a tourista. Okay. Even though you're a man. Yeah, even though you're a man, you know, it's it's il turista or la turista. Ah, and there's the there's there's the rub. So in the romance languages, we have the articles that go with the nouns that take the same gender, right? So la turista means a female tourist. Mm-hmm. However, if we borrow la barista into English, we don't borrow the la. We only borrow the barista yeah. part. Mm-hmm. And so the and also because we don't have gender in that way in English, it's stripped away. The article's gone, the gender is gone, and we simply borrow the noun without a gender attached. Yeah, and there are a lot of these words in those languages that refer to somebody who does something professionally, usually, or adheres to a particular mm-hmm. belief, like um, the Nicaraguan followers of Sandino were called Sandinistas, Sandinistas right. right? Even the male ones. Right? Yeah. yeah, or we talk about fashionistas, which is a fanciful English term. Ooh, nice. You know. Yeah, good one. Yeah. But I do like, i got to ask you a question, Zach. Barista kind of elevates the position. You're something other than a coffee monkey, right? Yeah, yeah. It definitely does sound a little bit more official, doesn't it? Maybe coffee jerk yeah, instead of, you know, <laughs> it's a parallel with soda jerk. Hmm, coffee yeah. artist. Coffee artist. Yeah, if they do the weird foam, like the yeah, giraffe yeah. over the edge of the cup. You ever seen this one? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some great pictures well, on the web. Well, Zach Fix, there's your answer. What do you think? Thank you very much. All right, take care now. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's weird. There's this whole class of of nouns like that, and it goes back to Latin and Greek. That's why they're there. There is a really good explanation of what we're talking about with the genders and the A ending and so forth at the site tutorino.ca, T-U-T-O-R-I-N-O. This is a site for learning Italian. Mm. Just go to the site and search for the word gender, and you'll probably come up with the entry that fully explains how this works in Italian. Cool. 877-929-9673. Grant, did you hear this one about the person who had the password that went Mickey, Minnie, Pluto, Huey, Louie, Dewey, Donald, Goofy, Sacramento? No. She had that long a password because it has eight characters and has at least one capital. That's terrible. It's a couple of puns, so I figured it was appropriate for this program. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Ashley calling from San Diego. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the show. Hello, Ashley. Hi, you guys. How are you? All right. Doing well. What can we do for you? Okay. So the other day, I was getting ready to go on a little trip, and my roommate came home and she saw a big bag of gorp sitting on the table. And I have no idea what gorp is. And so she continues to tell me, and she says it's some sort of trail mix. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know where that started from, because I'm a big backpacker. I'm from the Midwest originally, and I've never heard this word. You've mm-hmm. never heard of gorp? How interesting. No. So as far as you're concerned, this is the kind of thing you have to sneak across the border with, put it in the wheel <laughs> wells of your car. <laughs> exactly. It sounds like it. Doesn't it sound like the slang name for some, some illegal drug? It does. Yes. Gorp. Yeah. Gorp. G-O-R-P, right? Right. Correct. So, Ashley, did she have any kind of um, information to give you about the name? No. You know what? She said her dad just always called it that. And uh-huh. she's also from the Midwest. And she said she didn't know where it came from either. 
Well, we don't know for sure. There's an old word, gorp, that means to eat greedily, and I'm mm-hmm. betting that that's what it comes from. A lot of people will tell you that it's an acronym for good old raisins and peanuts. But that's hooey. It does not come from that. And I know we're yeah. going to get emails from people going, but everyone tells you that. <laughs> and you will find books and magazines and everybody saying that it does mean good old raisins and peanuts. But there's a problem with that. Tell me the problem. The problem is the early recipes include like 15 other ingredients. Yeah, yeah. Like powdered yeah. milk and coconut and M&Ms and chocolate and other things and not just good old raisins and peanuts. Oh. So your acronym would be something like Schmurgabubberger. <laughs> <laughs> that might sound better. Yeah. So did it originate in the Midwest? Is that a Midwest word or... It's an American word. We know this for sure. So you, you're less likely to find that people in the UK and Australia will know the term at all. Um, it looks like it comes from the 1950s. Definitely we know by the 1960s it was fixed very firmly in the lexicon of this kind of um, explosion of hiking and hikers. Mm. A lot of the trails that we know and take for granted today really became well-established in the 1960s. The... Um, uh, So we don't know exactly where it came from, but it seems to come from within the community of hikers and not from a commercial outfit, not from any kind of food producer or any kind of brand name or anything like that. Okay. And so is it just, is it another word for trail mix? Is it the same thing? Well, I don't want to bust open this debate, Martha, because people will argue for hours. It's like arguing about barbecue. (laughs) People will argue for hours about about what constitutes GORP or what constitutes trail mix. Well, I tell you, the place I came across GORP first was Mm -hmm. in a wonderful essay by John McPhee. Oh, yes. Uh, It's called Travels in Georgia, and he describes traveling through Georgia with biologists who are analyzing roadkill and sometimes eating it. Mm -hmm. And the first line of this whole essay is, I asked for the gorp. And then he later describes the gorp as soybeans, sunflower seeds, oats, pretzels, wheat checks, raisins, and kelp. Wow, that's far from the gorp I know. (laughs) Yeah. I've got a couple other recipes here. Dry cereal, powdered milk, sugar, raisins, cinnamon, nutmeg. And another one is grape nuts, sugar, powdered milk, cinnamon, and raisins with hot water. And you serve it like a cereal. Oh, really? And that's okay. their gorp. All right. Well, Ashley, what do you take on the trail? Well, I usually just have like the peanuts and the M&Ms and the raisins. Yeah. They're just my typical trail mix. Well, I tell you what, we'll ask our listeners what their version of gorp is. I'm, I'm hoping we hear from a lot of fellow hikers. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you, guys. Thanks All for right. calling, Ashley. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Gorp. Well, what's your gorp? Let us know. 877-929-9673 or send your answers in email to words at waywardradio.org. From Kenosha, Wisconsin, has a question for us, Grant. He says, My coworkers refer to double time pay periods as double bubble. This happens during Sundays and during select holidays. So you working you're working something outside the normal shift and you get double pay. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, wow. Double That's bubble. Double bubble. Yeah. I That's, thought that was, you know, bubblegum. Bubble, yeah, it is. There's a bubblegum called yeah. double bubble. What's yeah. interesting about this is that he, he's in Wisconsin. I know this is a British term. It comes from some of the traditional rhyming slang in the UK. And there it literally means the same thing. You get paid double 
pay huh. for overtime, usually on the holidays or after hours, the overnight shift, that kind of thing. There's also a prison slang term, also British, which is if I loan you money so you can buy something in the commissary, you owe me double bubble, which is double back. You have to, if I give you a dollar, oh. or if I give you a, a pound, you owe me two pounds back. Okay, so it's just sort so of double rhyming. bubble, yeah. And there's a couple other okay. slang meanings of All double right. bubble, but really the bubble part isn't important. It's the double part. We do this in English with um, reduplication and, and rhyming terms like that. Okay. And he's in Wisconsin, so elsewhere in the country, it's a double water fountain, right? <laughs> could, could be. <laughs> if you use the term double bubble, I'd like to know about it, where you picked it up, because I think of it as being British, but maybe I'm just out of touch with what's happening in the American workplace. Let's find out. 877-929-9673. Or send your answers and questions and email to words at waywardradio.org. Small stories, big discoveries. Stay with us. Fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now from New York City is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. It's great to be here. What's up, buddy? Um, you know what? I'm, I've decided that I'm not going to present the quiz this week. Okay. No? Yeah. Sure. Instead, I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine. Okay. Uh-oh, he's going to do voices. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do Kitty. voices. He's a scientist <laughs> with a strong a strong interest in language. Uh, this His name is Dr. Word. Okay. Dr. Sure. Yeah, here Word. he is. Say, say hi, Doc. Hi, Doc. Uh, good morning. Up? Good morning. How are you? I'm Dr. Word. <laughs> I'm interested in things. Specifically, various evolutionary oddities in anthropology, uh, more specifically, modern anthropology. Uh, these would be offshoots of the more commonly known Homo sapiens, or modern man of wisdom. Now, of course, some people say that I unnecessarily obfuscate matters by using Latin names, but I say balderdash. <laughs> what is an academic like myself to do if not use more scientifically accurate names for my study subjects? Now, for example, in the study of sociology, I've examined the role of homo optimus in modern mating rituals with a focus on bachelor party throwing and the delivering of bad or smarmy toasts. Uh, that particular man is the best man, homo optimus. Okay, got oh. it. Got, got it. it. Very good. Got it. Homo optimus. <laughs> now, allow me to tell you some more about my work. 
In the uh, world of organized crime, uh, a very important role is played by Homo Inflictus, who does a lot of the dirty work. The hitman. Yes, that's, that's what the common the people call him a hitman. That's correct, yes. In the arts, I've found that many people don't realize the importance of Homo Rectus in many comedy routines. The straight man. Yes, very good. Straight man, yes. In business, uh, many captains of industry can get nothing done without Homo Dextera to handle vital tasks. <laughs> right hand, right -hand man. man. Yes, the right hand man. Very good. Now, on the other hand, Homo Itavero adds nothing to the progress of a business, but many CEOs keep him around anyway. Yes, man. Yes, oh, that's correct. Homo Itavero is a yes man. I've done a comprehensive study of Homo Duchit in the field of film and television. And as it turns out, he would be nothing without the work of <laughs> Homo Acrobaticus. Oh, they got the leading there's, man. There's two there, yes. Leading man. And what's the second Acrobaticus. one? Well, he would be nothing without the work of Homo Acrobaticus. Thinking high wire, a tightrope, but acrobaticus. Stuntman. Stuntman. Yes, the stuntman. Very good, Grant. going too literal. In literature and film, I've become quite fascinated by the success of a character I call Homo Ferrum. Iron Man. Yes, Iron Man. It's just a <laughs> fascinating character. Nice. I'm quite fascinated by vanishing species. Specimens of Homo lacteus are quite nearly extinct, and Homo glacium has not been seen since the advent of modern refrigeration. So the milkman and the iceman. <laughs> yes, the milkman and the iceman. And before I leave for work, of course, I, I check in with Homo tempestus to see if I should wear my light lab coat or my warm <laughs> woolen lab coat. The weatherman. The weatherman. Your woolen lab man. coat. That one I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very well done. You I'll give you back to, to John Chinesky right now. John, if you would. Yes, thank you very much, Dr. Dr. Word. Wow. You guys were fantastic. That was <laughs> yeah, sure. Thanks. That was fun. All right, John, we'll talk to you next yeah. week. Talk to you then. If you want to talk about any aspect of language, call us 877-929-9673 or send your stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. And we are all over Facebook and Twitter. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi. I'm Weldon Adams from Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, Weldon. Thanks for calling. What can we help you with? Uh, there's a phrase that came to me the other day, and I realized that it didn't make a lot of sense in context. Uh, you, it's a phrase that people use all the time. You're in a hurry, someone's at the front door knocking on the door, and you're trying to get there, and you might say, keep your pants on. And it occurred to me, what is it about those situations that make us afraid someone is on the front porch sans pantalones? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say it to doctors because they sometimes <laughs> will say that. Sometimes you're not sure. Do I need to keep my pants on or is this an operation that requires that I drop them? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, what good would it do? Well, I've heard it also used when people are being impatient. and it's, it, it's Oh, yeah. Or even when they're angry. It's like a full spectrum from impatient to right, angry, right? right? Yeah. Keep your pants keep on. Your it's pants not that on. big a deal. Yeah. We'll figure this out, right? right? Yeah, but it's kind of one of those things you don't stop and think about. And then when you do, <laughs> like Weldon did... Well, there's hmm. a bunch of these Weldon. There's keep your shirt on. There's keep your clothes on. There's keep your hat on. There's keep your keep your hair on, which is my favorite of the bunch. <laughs> we don't wear wigs much anymore, but I can imagine a time. Uh, I can imagine a time when, like, if you get angry, you start waving your powdered wig about <laughs> to make your point. Well, or you're you're fighting, and you know that expression, wigs on the green. 
Oh, yeah, that? there we go. Yeah, yeah wigs on the green. <laughs> Two people fighting. Yeah. But the whole, all of these together are really about losing your composure. If you take your shirt off or your pants off, it's because, and you're, you're no longer composed. You no longer look like a respectable person. <laughs> Not hardly. You, right? You, you've, you've gone to some struggle here to, to uh, make your point by stripping off your garments. And this is connected possibly to these passionate moments in old books and even in the Bible. There's also a notion here, and you'll find this often suggested for an origin of keep your shirt on anyway, that it's what happens when two people are about to fight. Uh, just imagine a scenario, say, um, Daniel Boone times two backwoodsmen arguing over who gets the prize turkey at a turkey shoot, and then they come to blows. But the first thing they do before they come to blows is they tear off their shirt um, because they don't want to ruin their one shirt that they have mm-hmm. to wear for the next six months, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you take off your watch. And... <laughs> yeah, they take, put your phone aside, yeah. the whole thing. And There's an interesting term here that I use a lot because I picked this up from my British friends, but most Americans don't use it, which is related to all of these. It's directly related to keep your shirt on, and that is to be shirty. And that is to act like you might be the kind of person who's about to be upset or angry and and, um, possibly take off your shirt in anger Mm -hmm. or frustration or impatience. Yeah, I know the expression keep your shirt on is much older than keep your pants on. Oh, yeah, it is. So maybe that has something to do with it. This did not go where I thought it was. Where do you think (laughs) it would go? The only situation that I thought that this would make any sense, I was was thinking maybe it would trace back to... uh, uh, lines at the privy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, lines at the privy. Oh my! Oh. <laughs> That's the only time the context context makes any sense. Yeah, you you would be in a hurry. Then, <laughs> you would, be, yeah, right? yeah. I can imagine the sca- the stagecoach stop somewhere in the mountains, and yeah. you got ten minutes for a stop, and there's fifteen people in front of you, and what are you going to do? <laughs> One last thing to say, Weldon. There's an older form of to keep your shirt on, which is kind of fallen out of fashion and this is to get your shirt out or to get someone else's shirt out like he really gets my shirt out every time he comes Mm. late to the meetings why can't he be on time oh that makes sense so it's kind of the putting it on another person rather than talking about yourself well taking it off another person I think I'm going to start using that yeah (laughs) hey Weldon thanks a lot for calling hey thank you all right. Have a good day. Okay, take Bye. care. Take care now. Bye-bye. You may be sitting at home in various stages of undress. But you're free to give us a call, 877-929-9673. <laughs> Email us, words at waywardradio.org. It's radio. Who cares? lovely remembrance of somebody on Facebook the other day, and the person who was memorializing her friend who died said that uh, what that person would have wanted is for everybody to say with gusto, fill your boots. Fill your boots? Yeah, have you ever heard that no. phrase? I never heard it. I had what to go look mean? it up. What does that mean, to gear up and get ready to do what needs to be done? Well, it's it's more like go after things with gusto. Dig in and fill your boots means to eat as much as you like. Like fill up not just your belly, but your boots too. Uh, I see. But I it's see. it's an expression that it looks like you hear more in Canada and the UK. Fill your boots. Hmm. Eat life in large bites. Yeah, yeah. Embrace it with gusto. Oh, nice. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Allison. I'm calling from Somerville, Massachusetts. Hello, Allison. Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. Thank you. What's up? Thank you for having me. Yeah, sure. Um, I just had a question about a phrase that I heard recently, actually, in a song on the radio. Um, There's a song called Safe and Sound that's been playing a lot. Oh, yeah, Capital Cities, right? Yeah, 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 I love it. So it just got me thinking about the phrase safe and sound and how 
you know, I've seen it in books a lot, but mostly in the context of, like, parents checking in on their kids to make sure that they're safe and sound. But I was wondering kind of, like, where it came from and if there was any other meaning, like, perhaps safe meaning cautious and sound meaning logical or something like that. I don't know. So I just Hmm. wanted to, to find out more about it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's a yeah. pretty interesting question. We sometimes don't break apart these these um, kind of idioms at all, do mm-hmm. we? Just keep using them as as a, as a single piece. Yeah, right, right. I, actually, usually I discourage people from breaking them apart because there's not a lot of sense <laughs> to be found there. But this is True. probably a pretty good one. So safe is pretty straightforward. We know this comes to English from French for the SAUF, S-A-U-F, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it means um, literally the same thing in French as it does in English, which is you are um, uninjured. Right, um, unharmed. And, and it's hurt. related to salvage and um, salvation and other words like that. Mm-hmm. And in French, actually, they have SAUF. Um, which means um, healthy and safe, which is their equivalent of safe and sound. What's interesting is this expression shows in it the history of English because the first word comes from French, but the second word comes from the Germanic languages. Right, right. So I, I love that. It's embedded in this three-word <laughs> three phrase is, is the history of English. So. Yeah, and the sound there comes from the same root as Gesundheit, which means health. <laughs> yeah. So Gesund. Right? Gesundheit, yeah, yeah is, is health. So, but sound comes from the S-U-end part of the German word, mm-hmm. and it means hail, hearty, healthy, all, mm-hmm. all of sound one. Sound mind. Yeah, all of one piece. Yeah, exactly, like mm-hmm. a sound mind. Okay. So there you have it. Safe and sound is, is English language embedded in three words. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. So you yeah, think sure. about that every time you hear the song, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for calling. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Your questions are safe with us, 877-929-9673, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, I've been reading about barbed wire. Barbed wire? Of course, why? yes. Um, because it never occurred to me why we call that uh, spiral kind of wire oh, on top of a fence. Oh, I was thinking about Pamela Anderson. You're talking, oh. Oh, you're talking about the fence. <laughs> yeah, you know, the concertina wire that's sort of spiral and it's on top of a fence. Yeah, the razor wire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what they call it, concertina wire? This never occurred to me until yesterday. No. Because you know what a concertina is? It's sort of a little accordion-like yeah. instrument. And this was an innovation in World War I that um, they started using wire that was coiled and sort of kept that round shape so that it, it, it sort was of sort of like an, the space. Yes, right. yes. Travels well and can be expanded easily. Yeah, yeah. So it's like an accordion. Never occurred to me, concertina me wire. I thought it was like from some kind of musical instrument I, like I the wire strings. I thought maybe like, it was a brand name. I had no idea. Yeah. Call us with your stories about language, 877-929-9673, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Howdy. Uh, this is Jeremy, originally from Connecticut, but I'm uh, calling from Arcata right now. Howdy, Jeremy. Arcata, California? Uh, yeah, that's right. I'm, uh, I'm actually uh, traveling down the coast. I'm in the middle of a bit of hitching right now. Oh, wow. You're hitching. How long are you going to go? Yeah. How far are you going to go? Uh, well, uh, the goal is uh, San Francisco right now, um, but my sign says Antarctica, so nice. we'll see what I get. <laughs> yep, it helps. That'll get you some attention, right? People will stop just to hear your story. That's the hope. I'm traveling with a buddy, too, who's got a little bit more stage sign. We're hoping the combo works out well. 
Yeah, yeah. I hope one of you has nice legs. Oh, yeah. Well, we're wearing pants, but they might be able to see through. <laughs> Keep your pants on. What can we help you with, Jeremy? Um, so I uh, was listening to the news a little bit back, and uh, the subject of Edward Snowden and the NSA came up, and I noticed that uh, Snowden himself and some other folks have been dropping the article the when referring to the NSA and other three-letter agencies, um, saying things like, at NSA we do this, or NSA does this, or FBI, blah, 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 blah. And that seems a little strange to me, so I was wondering uh, what was going on there. Oh, wow, great question. We get yeah. this pretty regularly. So I, there's a lot of people who are probably going, er, I want to know the answer to that, too. Yeah, um, and it's super hard to Google, too. Oh, yeah. You can't really Google articles very well. Uh, let me give you and everyone else a word that you can Google that's unusual enough that you'll probably only come up with academic articles about this very subject. And the awesome. word is anarthrists. Anarthrists. A-N-A-R-T-H-R-O-U-S. And that basically means without a definite article. The an is the negative okay. there. So arthrus is with the definite article, and anarthrus is without the definite article. And you'll come up with a ton of stuff, including some really, really fantastic posts on Language Log, which is like the big blog on the internet to talk about all things linguistic. Any case, um, we have a couple patterns here when it comes to whether or not we use the definite article, the, in front of a an initialism or an acronym. So the first rule that we know for sh- Pretty sure, let's say 80% of the time, if you can pronounce it as a word, you're probably not going to use the definite article. Okay, so, like NASA. NASA, right? So generally, yeah. you're going to do that. That's not always the case, but most of the time. A little less often, but almost as often. If it's an initialism, that is, you say the letters and don't pronounce it as a word, um, you're more likely to also not use the definite article. Um, but only if you're really familiar with it or it's very distanced from its original source. For example, CBS. Last night on CBS, I watched a great new show, right? And I don't say the CBS. Or I could say I went down to KFC and got a bucket of chicken, right? I don't say I went to the KFC and got a bucket of chicken, right? But that's not always true. or... Other things like that. Very good. HBO is a great example. Mm -hmm. But it gets tricky after that because then we have this whole huge set of initialisms and acronyms. Again, acronyms are the ones that we pronounce as a word. Initialisms are the ones where we say the letters. There's a whole group of them that have their own customs and traditions attached to them. And the only way you'll know whether or not you can use or should use the definite article is to hear other people who are in the know. And so you kind of inherit this. And this is where we get a really interesting circumstance like Edward Snowden using NSA without the in front of it because he's an insider. And and insiders tend to drop the definite article more than outsiders do. Inside FBI, they say FBI and not the FBI. Inside CIA, they say the CIA Mm -hmm. and not – I'm sorry, they say CIA and not the CIA. Um, at the Oxford English Dictionary, at Oxford University Press, where I used to work, outsiders almost always say the OED because it's short for the Oxford English Dictionary, right? Insiders say yeah. OED. Well, you look this entry up in OED and see if it matches. So it's, there's a certain kind of, there's a relationship to the word that matters according to the speaker. If you are highly familiar with it, you are highly likely to drop the definite article.
Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I uh, I was wondering if I had also noticed that uh, in some of the debates I've seen on TV or on the radio that people who tend to be defenders of the NSA or other such organizations are seem a little bit more likely to drop the article, which uh, would kind of go along with folks who are insiders, part of these organizations, all that. Yes, exactly. That's a really good observation that you've made. That's exactly what I've seen as well. All right, cool. Well, that's uh, that uh, went a long way to dispelling a number of conspiracy theories in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you think about when you're standing there on the side of the road. <laughs> well, I think about all sorts of things. Uh, I think that specific one may have been a shower thought, but you know uh, how it goes. Uh, yeah, 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 shower got, thought. Got a list of those. Yeah. Most of the point where I need a waterproof marker for the shower. <laughs> so you can put, put this stuff yeah. down for later. Can't really Google, you know, in, in the in the shower. Yeah, well, Google's always coming up with new stuff. Maybe they'll come up with Google Shower. I think that would be a oh, winner, nice. don't you think? Nice. But, yeah. what, but what kind of pictures would they hey, be taking? Hey, uh, you should patent that before they get their hands on it. Okay, well, we better go, Jeremy, <laughs> in that case. All right. Well, uh, y'all have a good one. You okay, too. Take care Okay, have a good now. trip. Thank you. Bye. 877-929-9673. An old new word that I came across, quiddler. Do you know this one? Quiddler. Oh, I have a lot of quiddlers in my life. Q-U-I-D-D-L-E-R, quiddler. Mm, Sounds like quibbler or something. Somebody who wastes his energy on trifles. Really? (laughs) Yeah, so a quiddler, it's just somebody who uh, fools around and doesn't get on task and stay on target. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like fritter and all those kinds of words. Mm -hmm. A frittering quiddler. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. We got an email from Sean Clark who says that he's recently started a new job at a small manufacturing facility that employs about 250 people. And about half the people there speak English as a first language and the other half speak Spanish as a first language, but they all work together. And Sean writes... What has surprised and even inspired me is the fact that instead of seeing division or resentment between these two groups, or even just a lack of effective communication, they've instead developed a sort of shorthand, in some cases even creating entirely new words and phrases to describe products or processes. He says that seeing this kind of rapid language evolution on a small scale is making him wonder if perhaps it's happening on a large scale as well, or or if it could happen on a global scale. He writes, what is the possibility of a one-world language in the future, not as a result of imperial expansion or military invasion, but instead from peaceful cultural migration and the shared human experience? What are the chances that we could develop one language because we all become a little more like each other and willing to accommodate each other's differences? Yeah. Wow, it's a great question. Well, we could go back to the story of the Tower of Babel, Mm -hmm. in which case, supposedly, everyone spoke one language and then they didn't because Mm -hmm. they'd done wrong and they Mm -hmm. were divided by God, right? Mm -hmm. 
We could also look at invented languages like Esperanto, which have mm-hmm. b- come from a whole cloth, and yet they also have had their divisions. Slang has appeared in Esperanto and been stomped down. If you speak Esperanto in Finland versus speaking it in Italy, you're probably more likely to use some words and avoid other words because of your native language kind of informing your understanding of Esperanto and your use of it. And, no kidding. And so they're like dialects of Esperanto? Kind of. Not really full-on dialects, but some languages have split off from it. And most of them hmm. haven't been very successful. Mm-hmm. But clearly there's been a conscious effort and sometimes unconscious effort with these invented languages to do something different, even though mm-hmm. this language was supposedly perfect from the start. Mm-hmm. But I have read that if we ever got to the point where we all spoke one language, it would last for about a minute <laughs> until <laughs> yeah. a new slang word was created that only a few people knew. Okay. Or somebody moved away and kept the old words that everyone else abandoned or needed new words for new plant life or new, new, new ideas. And there's just almost no chance that we'll ever all speak alike. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And there's a couple things happening in his letter, which I love. And one of them is, I wonder if that workplace isn't so accommodating to these differences because they feel like they have a shared experience. Mm. And we've talked about this on the show, for example, in the military or in in many different kinds of workplaces. When people have a shared mission and vision, Mm -hmm. they tend to create their own in-house language, their own jargon or slang, Mm -hmm. and use that because it helps unify them and make them feel like one people. But I've seen construction sites that work this way where you have English-speaking and Spanish-speaking workers, and sometimes they'll just adopt the Spanish word for a tool or a practice just because everyone likes it more, or just Mm. it's the custom, or the guy who's best at that particular job is the one who Mm. is teaching everyone else how to do it. So his language prevails for that task. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear stories about that. You can call us at 877-929-9673, or send them to us in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. Good morning. Who is this? This is Michael Rogers calling. Where are you calling from, Michael? Pretty much near you. I'm out in Fletcher Hills. Oh, well, walk right over. We'll do this in person. <laughs> <laughs> How can we help you today? Well, I saw the movie Winter's Bone, mm-hmm. and I was sufficiently interested to find out where that expression came from, and it's uh, derived from like a dog after a winter's bone, which really didn't clear anything up for me. Who said that? From what I was told is supposed to be an expression that is unique to the Ozarks. Who knows how valid that is, but that's what I read. The term Winter's Bone was a title of a, of, uh, a movie uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence. Right. And it was about a girl who's tenaciously trying to find out what happened to her father in an attempt to save the family home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming... That expression has to do with tenacity, but I'm not sure. And so it's cold and grim. It's there in the Ozarks, and and there's methamphetamine involved, and and all kinds it, of grim stuff like that, right? I mean, I mean, I'm thinking that that part of the challenge here is how we talk about the book and the movie without giving away any spoilers, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You haven't read the book by Daniel Woodrell. No, I haven't. It's interesting in the book, um, which he describes as country noir. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. He actually has a Q&A at the end of the book. I'm not sure why. Maybe this is the edition that came out after the, the movie. The book club edition, maybe? Okay, maybe that's it. All right. Yeah, and he says, of course, the winter part is obvious because it's cold and grim. And the bone part, he says, has to do with the idea of, oh, throw her a bone. You know, sort oh. of, sort of um, he says the season knows she's earned it. 
Oh, interesting. So it's personifying the season as yeah. a living entity that you've got to somehow appease. Yeah, and 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 yes, exactly. That's a good way to put it. And so winter is is tossing her a bone. She, it's the idea that she earns something. Oh, interesting. It sort of makes sense, even if you don't know what the author intended. You know, I mean, if if even if you look at the trailer mm-hmm. for that movie, it's just so cold and it is. harsh. And I would agree that this is one of the better titles of a book or a movie that I've come across in a long time. Yeah, just sort of bare and spare and nothing mm-hmm. left. Sort of like that hard scrabble life that Su- they're living there. Suggested yeah, without I being agree. too literal. I agree. Um, it, just the, it's sort of like some things paint a picture rather than actually work on in your left brain. Just paint an internal picture for you. And Winter's Bone just did that for me. Hmm, that's a great way to put it, Michael. Michael, thank you so much for calling today. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Take okay. care now. Bye-bye. 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 Has a word or phrase caught your ear? Let us know about it. 877-929-9673 or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org and we're all over Facebook and Twitter. On our Facebook page, Gabrielle uh, told us about a dialogue with her third grader who said, that sign is wrong. There should be a comma before that last item. And Gabrielle said, I agree. That last comma is called an Oxford comma. Her kid said, why? And Gabrielle said, well, Oxford is a famous school in England. And her third grader replied, and their mascot is the comma? (laughs) (laughs) And so she says, now my family is imagining the bitter rivalry between the Oxford commas and the Cambridge apostrophes. (laughs) Well played, commas, well played. (laughs) And at halftime, there's quite a pause. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. We're having all kinds of discussions like that on our Facebook page, so come over and find us, check us out on Twitter, and you can always call with your language questions, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes, this is Noah Moothart from uh, Elk Rapids, Michigan. How are you guys today? Doing well, Noah. How Noah, are you? Noah, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. I had a question about the word couple. I recently came up with my dad. I was talking to him, and I said, you know, I had a couple of things to do before I could help him out with, with what he needs help with. And he was confused why I had more than two things to do before I could help him out with, with, with his project. Um, I think that the you know the word couple has over over time has evolved into meaning more than simply two objects mm. and or two things and uh, I was wondering what you guys thought about that what's his argument that it only means two yeah that it only means two things if if you say a couple it, a couple has a n- very narrow definition and uh it means that you there's only two things. When you tell your father, uh, "Give me a minute, I'll help you." Right, I'll help you when I'm done with this. Does he think a minute is exactly sixty seconds? That's a good question. I, I guess I'd have to ask him. Yeah, or give me a couple minutes. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I hear what I want to hear. I think <laughs> yeah, I totally you know? hear what I want to hear. Give me five minutes. Oh, that's that's a half hour. <laughs> there we go. There we go. What are you talking about? There, there are a lot of these approximated times and um, quantity designations in English that cause a great deal of difficulty for even native speakers. If you look at transcripts of natural speech where people don't really know that they're being studied for linguistic features, um, people will spend something like, I forget what it is, it's some staggering amount of time in any conversation 
in clarifying and disambiguating and trying to figure out what the other person meant. I mean, a huge amount of speech is only disambiguation and clarification. And so this is one of those classic cases. But Grant, what if I said, you know, Grant, you owe me a couple of dollars. Oh, well, dollars, I'm going to be particular about, right? Because it matters. And where the couple stops mattering, it stops having to be exactly Mm. two, is when the outcome isn't much changed by whether or not it's actually three or maybe even four, right? Another question to ask your father, besides if he thinks a minute is always exactly 60 seconds, is um, how many is a pair? Because pair in almost everyone's speech is completely precise. It means exactly two. Unless you're talking about a pair of underwear. Oh, interesting. Well, two pair of underwear holes is how I think about it, right? One for each leg, I, right? Yeah, yeah. I always, I always have a problem with that. It, 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 like when I'm writing sometimes, you know, I, I don't know, say, like a pair of shorts or a pair of pants. Because really, I mean, it's only one, one article of clothing. You know? Right. Pair of scissors. How many scissors do you want? All right, but to, right me, exactly, yeah. Let me equip you with a couple other things to go back to your father with or anyone else who's arguing about this. And because believe me, this is like the two spaces after a period conversation. It can go on for years with people. Couple is highly context dependent. And when you talk about the meaning of couple, you have to talk about the sentence that it appears in. You cannot only talk about the word standing by itself or you're basically being intellectually dishonest. You just have to talk about it in the context. So that's really super important. The second thing to go to your father with is to point out that when we talk about a couple of and then some time period, like a couple of minutes or a couple of days, we have a problem of not knowing when exactly we're starting the counting. So if I say, Martha, in a couple of days I'm going to go to Paris, Mm -hmm. you don't know if I mean exactly 48 hours or after the rest of today and all of tomorrow and then I'm going, or do I mean after two midnights when we actually Mm, traditionally separate two days on the calendar, right? So we have these three possible meanings and all of them have a different length of hours. So I would go back to your father and say, are you greatly injured by the fact that I actually had three things to do instead of two? Well, yeah, he was waiting (laughs) on him. I mean, that's the thing, right? He probably was hearing what he wanted to hear. Two things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, He does that a lot. Oh, yeah. he does that a lot. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he likes to hear what he, what he wants to hear. <laughs> I think that's the and human like condition. you like wiggle room. Isn't it the human condition, though? We all want everything our own way. <laughs> Here's the, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess, I guess we can't blame him too much. One more thing, Noah, to take back to your father is that if he's looking for logic in English, then he's got a problem because couple, like so many other words in English, has more than one meaning. And it's an informal meaning and it's a slangy meaning, but couple is long often meant more than two. Okay? I mean, in many, many, many situations in the writing of our best speakers and in the speeches of our best speakers. So I'd say you're off the hook, Noah. Ah, good. Thanks a lot for calling. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. All right, take care. Now, let us know how it turns out, all right? Yeah, I will. All right, cheers. Okay, bye-bye. Yep, bye. Well, if you have a couple of things you want to say to us, call us, 877-929-9673, or put them in an email addressed to words at waywardradio.org. a word I didn't know until yesterday. Yerrick. Yerrick? Alas, poor Yerrick. (laughs) No, this is spelled Y-A-R-A-K. Yerrick. I have no idea. It probably originates from the Persian word for strength, and it's a term in falconry that means a state of prime fitness in a hawk. 
Ooh, so you could extrapolate and say, extend it and say the Yerik of a man That's for what I was thinking. Uh. That's what I was thinking. I'm looking at a citation from 1855. It requires about 10 days to get this hawk into Yerik. And if you're really, really first rate, you're said to be in screaming Yerik. Screaming Yerik. I mean, can't you just see this hawk swooping? And... Right, coming down at 100 miles an hour or yeah, more. Yeah, you do not want to be the rodent in that <laughs> case, right? No. <laughs> I'll hide my toupee. <laughs> Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. This is uh, Tyler calling from West Bend, Wisconsin. Hi, Tyler. Hey, what's up, buddy? My question is about the word secreting, as in to hide something away. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year, I was listening to the audiobook of Gone Girl, and the reader pronounced it secreting. And I thought that sounded awful, but I also thought it was probably just a mistake. Uh But then last week, I was listening to Morning Edition with my wife, and a reporter also pronounced it secreting. Uh And uh, since NPR is our gold standard, I kind of thought, wow, maybe I'm wrong here, and maybe that's a legitimate way to pronounce it. So I thought I'd ask you guys, (laughs) because you're also my gold standard. Oh, thank (laughs) you very much. So this would be like um, secreting somebody's will in a roll-top desk or something like that? Secreting yeah, exactly. uh, an envelope in your overcoat so nobody sees it? That kind of thing? Yep. Yeah, it does sound really weird. It sounds right to me. I know. It's, it's <laughs> it sounds right. <laughs> yeah, I have oh, to Oh, really? Tell you. So that's just... Because I've always pronounced it secreted, you know, as in keeping a secret. Oh, yeah. You're not the only one, dude. (laughs) Including me, Tyler. I did the same thing until just very recently. Here's the story here. Um, So a verb secrete, one meaning has to um, emit a fluid, right? Bees secrete honey. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second meaning means to hide away. And that second meaning comes from the word secret, Mm -hmm. but isn't pronounced like secret in any of its forms, including when it's conjugated or inflected. Mm -hmm. So it is always secreted. It's secrete. You secrete the letter in the floorboards. She secreted the letter in the floorboards. She is secreting the letter in the floorboards. I think that just sounds gross, don't you, Tyler? And, and here's the thing is the, the verb to secret something once existed in English, but right. it is archaic and obsolete and isn't used. Yeah. But I can tell you why you made the mistake. Uh, when you're wow. reading, when you see the word secreted, you can't tell that that E in the ED actually comes from the root word. It looks like the root is secret. And so it's a really logical mistake to make. Okay. I made it all my life. My mother was an English teacher, and she would always talk about this or that being secreted away. Well, yeah, and it just seems like, uh, you know, to secret something away, but secrete is to, like, bring something forth, you know? Yeah, good point. I mean, that's what I always took it as. But uh, So, wow, this it's not just that... um, that there are two pronunciations. It's just that I've always been saying it wrong. <laughs> yeah, English English pranked you and you fell for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, I appreciate your help. Yeah, Tyler, I'm afraid we've been punked, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I will just, uh, I'll probably just stop using that word. Then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks for calling, dude. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Tyler. We will reveal the secrets of language to you. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty pass.
Podcasts. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Check out our website, too, at waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. And you can listen to hundreds of past episodes for free. You can leave us a message anytime at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language or ask us to resolve language disputes at home, work, or in school. You can email us, too. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed and edited this week by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. This show is coming to you from the Track Recording Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye. I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh! Then that might break my heart So if you like pajamas and I like pajamas I'll wear pajamas and give up pajamas For we know we need each other So we better call the calling off Let's call the whole thing off Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.